What's up, folks? Wow, what a way to start off there with a groggy voice. What's going on here? It is Friday Eve, Thursday night, for those who like to keep count of the days of the week. And it is episode 52. And tonight we do have the former NFL QB, Sean Salisbury. And I'll bring up his picture for those guys who don't know. There he is right there, Sean Salisbury, uh, former quarterback for the Indy Colts, the Seattle Seahawks, Winnipeg Blue Bombers, Minnesota Vikings, Houston Oilers, San Diego Chargers, Grey Cup champion in 88, and also the actor from the Bench Warmers. So he will be joining us here momentarily. We plan to have a lot of fun with Sean as soon as he chimes in. Uh, for everyone else, we thank you who watched on Tuesday's show. Of course, this week has been bonus week for shows. And then come tomorrow at 9.30, we will have Chris Sack from the Green Legion Radio, as we'll be talking about everything nostalgic when it comes to Philadelphia. So we'll be talking Flyers, Sixers, Phillies, and Eagles. And where were you and either how young and or old you are when it comes to them winning the championship. So tomorrow night, grab your ba you know your best frosty beverage you could possibly find and join us tomorrow at 930. So that show should be a lot, a lot of fun. So we can't wait to get the show started here. Of course, we will bring in the guys. They get the show going for us. So, well, let's get the show going. It is episode 52. I'm Angel. This is Broad Street South. Now, last week, because we had, again, a bonus show come last week, we couldn't get the proper intro introduction in from last week. But this week, we do have the one, the only, Vito Corleone. Vito, Vito, what's going on tonight? Happy Friday, folks. Sean Salisbury on tonight. Let's get the show rocking. We are kicking it live. Sixers playoffs getting ready to get fired up for. What's up, folks? How are you, Angel? I am absolutely fantastic. And as uh, you can see, some of the sunlight here coming in through the studio window. So I see there's a studio window here in the studio. Yes, there is. So if you see that the broad up there, uh, is the sunlight coming across? That's because it's coming in through the studio window, but it is absolutely fantastic here in Tampa. Today, I got to about 91. Next week, we're going up into the high 90s. So summer for us will be starting out. So yeah. Well, it's but pretty I, hot up here in Philly itself. I was just about to say that. I did see on 6ABC that it is nice and warm. It's toasty, finally back in Philadelphia. So that's a great thing. Um, we don't have, of course, the intro, which I'm working on when it comes to the next two gentlemen. But first, We'll bring on Ladies Look Out. It is Jucky, also known as our beat writer, Nick Lisi. Nick, how are you this evening? I'm Nick doing Lee, well. I'm doing well. I can't believe the ducky thing's sticking, but hey, I'm here for it. And I can't wait to talk to Sean Salisbury tonight, talk a little football, talk a little life. I can't wait. Shucky Ducky, what's going on? It's going to be a lot of fun for sure. I see the comments coming in, so I'll get to the comments here momentarily. We also cannot forget our national correspondent, the man who brings the myth and mythology, whatever that means, just wanted to bring that up, <laughs> but it is Ryan F. Ryan, how are you this evening? I'm Ryan F. It's great to be with everybody tonight. It's going to be a fantastic show. I'm getting ready for it. Sixers are going to be in full swing. Phillies have seemed to bounce back and level it off a little bit, but I got I got to say something to my adopted son, Ducky <laughs> over here. We, we we really need to find a better spot for you, like to sit, like in your. Are you in your apartment? Or you're at home. Uh, I'm at our beach house right now. 
Because it looks like you're in the bathroom sitting on the toilet. So we need, we need, we, 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 we need, okay, okay, there you go. That, that's a little bit better. That's a little bit better angle. So yeah, let's uh, let's get this rolling into the Juru, wherever you are. I hope uh, you're having a blast, man. We hope you're having a blast. Great of Tennessee. What's up, Juru? That's right. So the for those who don't know, the professor who's normally on with us every single week. Now we did send Mike. Earlier this year, on assignment, we were supposed to go to Afghanistan, but we decided to send him up to Alaska. We froze his butt off in the middle of winter. Well, Mike came back, and he was doing you know, some lacrosse things for us up there. And so now Sherman is actually in Tennessee, and Sherman is thinking about starting his own softball league. And I think they're calling it the Shermanators. Something like that, so they're looking for a field and some other stuff. So that's where he is up there this weekend uh, with his wife, the lovely Barbara. And so they're, they're checking out some new things. And, and we'll see. Maybe uh, Sherman will jump on and let us know how the softball field is progressing. So he is on assignment out there in Tennessee. So we'll see him again come next week. A couple of things that we want to make sure we get out of the way initially. And the first things first is, of course, fans of Philly. If you guys are looking to travel to Vegas – with fans of Philly, it is absolutely sold out. It is booked. You can forget about trying to get a ticket out there unless you want to go out there on your own. But as far as the travel packages right now, fans of Philly is sold out for Las Vegas, rightfully so because it is EDC weekend, that same weekend in Vegas. But if you'd like to see if they still have some sort of availability, maybe somebody canceled out, go to fansofphilly.com, fansofphilly.com, and or call Joe at 610-517-7171, 610-517-7171, or email Joe at fansofphilly.com, fansofphilly.com, the official sponsor of Broad Street South, along with Goose's Monte Cristo Lounge and Tobacconist. So Goose's Cigar, we are fortunate to have them as our new media partners. It is great to have met Goose as far as online. I'm pretty sure I'm going to get up there sometime very soon for a home game. So I'm going to travel up there. The entire gang will be in the studio. Once we make the official date, we will let you guys know when we're going to be up there just so everyone can come on and have a lot of fun uh, with all of us. So the other thing that I, I want to mention here, because I did see that someone came in into the green room. So I want to put up my little screen here, just so you can see. So for Sean Salisbury, now I want everybody to understand this. Again, we're having him on here tonight. He is a former NFL quarterback right now with Sports 790 in Houston. Does a phenomenal job on the radio. You guys can catch it on iHeartRadio, but if you don't follow Sean, as you can see, Sean Unfiltered on Twitter. But wait, there's more. You also have the Sean Salisbury Show on Twitter. And yes, even still more, you have the Sean, the Sean Salisbury Show on Twitter. And in case you guys need a quick reminder, and YouTube, please don't hold this against me. But if you guys remember, he did make a cameo appearance, actually more than a cameo appearance, in the bench warmers. Think you're athletes now? That's funny. I didn't know athlete had three syllables. Athlete, that's amazing. It's Reggie Jack. So Sean <laughs> is... On with us, I will stop the screen share here and introduce the man himself. Sean, how are you this evening? I'm doing great, fellas. How are you doing? Thanks for having me on, man. Oh, Thanks for right. coming on. No problem. Thanks for Glad coming to be on. With and you guys, you bet. Sean, I, I will say this much. Now, for, for those who don't know, and this has been kind of a, like an ongoing thing with, between Sean, myself, and Fuji. So we like to make uh, Sean say, that, hey, you're coming on next week. Sean will come back with his reply. Like, hey, who told you that? So we've been going back and forth. It's been a lot of fun. But, Sean, we do appreciate you coming on tonight. We are really excited for you being on here. I'm honored to be here, man. Thank you, guys. It's great to be on. I appreciate your resilience. And I'm sorry it took so long. But 
uh, we'll get it done. And it's, it's great to be part of your audience and I'm honored. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Thanks for coming on. You're absolutely welcome. And again, I, I hope I, I pretty sure I end up putting all the stuff on there that I need to put on. Oh yeah. Trust me, I'm not, I'm not. I'm not even a household name in my own home, so you don't have to worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. That happens. And, and Sean, I want to. I know we have a couple of comments here. I'm going to read them off here momentarily with everybody on because there are a lot of people excited you coming on tonight with us. But I will say now, bringing up the bench warmers, and I know it's been since 2006 <laughs> for me, and it's been that's one of those things. And I know you were on ESPN. Don't get me wrong. I think for me, just me speaking personal here. My best moment that I can recall from your life is you being on there on Benchwarmer. So I'd like to know, one, how fun was it when you were in the movie set? And then, you know, with all the banter, you guys going back and forth, how many takes did it actually take for you guys to be serious to make one take? Um, well, first off, I, I don't know whether to take this a compliment or a, a, a horseshit <laughs> backhanded slap of the head, meaning – 10 years in a league, I made no impact. All these years in broadcasting, I made no impact. And because I was in Bench Warmers, a kid's movie with Sandler, I'm a big shot now. I'm kidding. Um, I, I, I'm going to tell you something, guys. I actually talked to Sandler two days ago. You saw that viral video. He's a, he's a, I'll get to it backtrack, and it's not a name-dropping thing. But first off, what you think about him as a human and as a loyal character and as a guy who makes us laugh and cares about the people he works with, he would treat Clint Eastwood the same way he would treat the person who serves the, the you know, the, the food truck or the, you know, the catering service. That's right. Him. Right. He is a, ten, uh, he's a, a 10 times the human being you think he is. And then some, that's one um, fun guy. We had so much fun on the set of that one in longest yard and, and house bunny. He's just a, a joy to work with. And uh, I'm honored to know him. And we've been able to keep this friendship for a long time. I tell him, I said, you know, it's it's time for another uh, whether bench warmers two or another movie or three so I can get those residual checks rolling. But he my, my experience with him on that set first of all was we laughed the, the stuff you didn't see even in the outtakes the outtakes you didn't see were a blast and it, it the one thing I gained a lot of respect for and I had respect for him anyway is when you're around these great actors who have to carry a movie. Now I was not a lead in it I was in it throughout the movie but just as a as a you know, it was a mean coach and, but I had a blast doing it. And I'm thinking, imagine if you're, and it's the hurry up and wait, you'll do a scene and it'll be like three lines. And from this camera angle and that camera angle, and how about, uh, uh, let's go here and say this Salisbury. That's how I say, say this again. And we'll do this in the laughs. And I felt like at times, cause I was out of my element, right? I'm here with all these great actors and John Lovitz and Sandler and Schneider wow. and Spade. And I'm like, one of these things is not like the other. We got all these stars and I'm just a, a guy trying to fit in. And I didn't want to hold up the set. So I studied hard. They give you your own trailer. I'm like, this is really cool. And the scene where Snyder, I'm about to give him a, a titty twister on, the, on the Rob <laughs> Schneider. And I'm looking, he's about, you know, I could set my drink on top of his head and a great dude, man, just a great guy. And we're face to face and I couldn't help, you know, you want to laugh and cut Salisbury. We're on production time and we'd laugh and have a good time joking. But the times I had in between the takes and the way they treated me and watching how these actors, all the, the memorization and what they go through to make a movie work, the different shots, the director and producer, they're brilliant, man. I'm just telling you, these people are brilliant. And I, I feel at times I'm in over my head, but Sandler, the set, working with the people on the set for everybody from the stars on down. I, it was an honor for me. And 
for you, you, you know, you said it was one of the, the, the best things about my career. I consider it one of the great thrills, honestly, being around those people and being in their element and learning about that. I hope to do more. And I texted Stanley the other day because I don't know if you guys saw that viral video where he was playing hoops, right? Yeah. He, he was playing hoops. And I texted him. I said, dude, man, you, you had some handle. And before Longest Yard, when I trained him for that, for that, for to play quarterback in that movie, right? we had to play two for months. We had to play two on two. Every day before we trained football, we had to play two on two. Me and him versus somebody on the Sony Pictures lot, whatever. We always played two on two. He loves hoops. So he's got a little handle in some game. And I said, dude, you went out there in high top tennis shoes, big old basketball shorts, and a polo? I said, what's the deal? He said, he said, Salisbury. He goes, dude, he goes, shit. I, I, I just I had, I'd been in a, a long car drive with the kids. I didn't have time to change. I said, you, how cool is that? He pops out of his car after a car trip with the kids, runs over to a basketball court with a polo on and makes a pass, a dime. So a guy got a spot up three. I said, only you, man. So yeah, some of the great stories and, and uh, it's an honor to be, you know, to, to just to be in his movies. But more importantly, it's been a pleasure to be a friend of his and to keep a relationship going for this long. And to me, again, now you did miss the introduction. We did talk about your football career as you were coming I know, on. I'm kidding, man. Oh, there's not much to talk about. <laughs> Ten years of some good, some bad, and some really ugly. So I, I get it, my man. But it's listen, but it's fun. That's the one thing. See, that that's the one that I will say, Sean. A lot of times you don't get to, you know, most actors, and I get it when when they get to a certain status, they I don't want to say they don't take the time to speak to people, but it becomes a whole different atmosphere. And it's fun, even because we can call you an actor. The, the just being in the movie with Adam Sandler, it's just it's so much fun because you can from the movie itself, I mean, just you can watch it. It's one of those movies you can watch over and over and over again. Yeah pick up a new line. And it, I, to me, it was just, it was great. So yeah, thanks for it. It is. No, no problem. And real quick about that is, it, you know, being in that and being fortunate to be a part of his movies for, you know, three of those. And just, you recite the lines and going back over, oh, that scene was so funny. Man, they should have seen what happened between the scenes and the laughs is I'll, I'll kid around once in a while because I'm, I don't look at myself as a celebrity or star at all, but like you'll go in and you'll pull out your credit card and you get a SAG after a card, right? Right. So every now and then you're like, I kid my, like, like well, I'll be with my kids. I say, man, I wonder if they'll take this and I'll put it down like a restaurant joking around. It's a SAG after. Oh, my bad. My bad. Let me get my credit card. <laughs> just, just for the, for the laughs and the giggles. But nah, man, I, it was a humbling experience. And when, when you see the coolest thing about that is when I went to the movie theater, my kids were a little younger. Both my sons were in the movie on my team on the little league field. Okay. My daughter was too young. When I went to the, the, we went to the premiere, but one of the coolest things that after playing in, you know, fortunate playing at USC and playing in an in, in NFL for 10 years, I, one of the great thrills of my life, we went to the opening night in Plano, Texas at a movie theater. Mm -hmm. I go to about 120 movies a year when there wasn't COVID in the theater. I'm a movie fanatic, right? right. So my kids go, they bring about 20 of their friends. We had like two or three rows in the movie theater on a Friday night, opening night of Benchwarmers. And it's really surreal and I know those guys do it all the time, those big actors. But when you're sitting in there listening to comments about the movie that you're in, right, that they're talking about the, the, this funny scene. And I'm thinking, and this is really cool that I've never been on the big screen. And now uh, three times I've been on it now in this movie, throughout the movie. And so we leave after the movie's over and the, it was it sold out and they were having a blast. And it was good cheers after the movie. And we walk out and some teenage gals there and heard me talking to my sons on the way out and their buddies. She stops and turns around and she goes, you were like, you know, no, no idea that here right. I am 
in Plano in a theater was just in the movie they were watching. And so I don't have an ounce of arrogance about it, man. I, I was humbled and it was, it's still a great thrill for me when it comes on TV and I'm like, man, what, 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 what a great deal of laughs and the great people that I met. So thanks for bringing it up. I appreciate the, uh, the great compliment. It was fun. No, not a problem whatsoever. Believe me, I, I still, like I said, to this day, I enjoyed it. My IT guy, actually, I was telling him as we we're going live here at 730, I, I showed him the picture just so you can remember who Sean, uh, Sean Salisbury was. He was like, oh, man, I got to watch the movie tomorrow. So believe me, instant <laughs> classic, no matter which way you look at it. Thank you. Uh, Fuji. Sean, sure, thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. My pleasure, bud. When you played in the NFL, you played with Hall of Famers like Junior Seau, Rodney Harrison, Chris Carter. Who was, who would you say was a, a real great teammate of yours? I, I was fortunate, man. I, I think about my times. And I think, well, why didn't I win a Super Bowl? It must have been the quarterback's fault, right? So <laughs> we had a lot of players. I mean, you think about it. When I was at SC, Marcus Allen was the first 2,000-yard rusher in college football history. He won the Heisman that year. I was teammates with Eric Dickerson. My rookie year, I had Steve Largent and the original running back, Kurt Warner. Um, when I went to Minnesota in San Diego at the end of my career, Rodney Harrison Jr. Seau, that group. Um, when I was in Minnesota, Hall of Chris Carter, Hall of Fame, Gary Zimmerman, Hall of Fame, Randall McDaniel, Hall of Fame, Chris Dolman, Hall of Fame, John Randall, Hall of Fame, Keith Millard, Defensive Player of the Year, Henry Thomas probably should be a Hall of Fame finalist, Scott Steadwell, Carl Lee, Joey Browner. You could make a case for him for the Hall of Fame. I mean, we, I, I I don't. I, I well, We all miss the paychecks. I miss the competition of competing and and the game planning, the chess match that goes into a football game. But I can tell you this: the oh, Warren Moon in Minnesota. Let's not forget right. him, Hall of Famer. Uh, Jim McMahon. I hated Jim when we played against him in the Bears, and then he became a teammate, and to this day, he's one of my best friends, and he's one of the greatest teammates of all time. Yet you wanted to tear his heart out when you played against him. Yet he was so competitive and so good. Some of the best laughs I've had on the sideline or in a game or in moments that were supposed to be pressure, Jim McMahon created him, one of the great competitors and people of all time. Uh, Steve Largent, like I said, is the best route runner. Chris Carter, probably the best body control. So there's something great about the, the team I was on, the teams I was on, phenomenal uh, players, but even better teammates. I think I probably miss that, guys, more than the paycheck. Uh, not a, the competition is one thing, but sitting around the laughs with Junior, and gosh, do I miss him. And one of my very dear, I mean, a, a lifelong buddy. Um, the Jack Del Rios, who was a team, I left him out. Del Rio was our middle linebacker in Minnesota. And him and I came in together at USC. So a lot of these guys, I don't remember touchdown passes very much. I do remember interceptions. Uh, but I remember more the laughs, playing with great players. The, the, the things that made those guys great, nobody practiced harder than Junior Seau or Warren Moon or Randall McDaniel. And there's there's no mystery, guys. The best game guys on Sunday, usually there's the aberration right. were the guys who practiced the hardest and would knock your, pardon my, I don't know, if, would knock your dick right in the dirt when they played on <laughs> Sunday. Man. They were that, you know, that good and mm -hmm. I, and, and better dudes. The, the relationships I've been able to carve with those guys um, and watching them do great work that I wasn't near the player they were and then watching them study and then going out and having a beer or a laugh with them. The, lo the locker room laughs are missed the most. So, I really was one of those fortunate guys. I don't, and I'm being honest, I'm not much of a fence sitter. I'll be as unfiltered as you need me to be. I don't remember going through any of the teams I've ever been on and walking out saying, I can't stand that guy. Right. Now there's guys that, you know, you, you may not hang around off the field, but I don't ever remember going out to the practice field or sitting in a meeting room and saying, 
yeah, that guy's such an asshole. I don't want to be around him. I don't ever remember. Now, there were some great fights in the locker room and on the field. Epic. But when it's all done, you hug, and I, I, I'm lucky. Some guys may complain about teammates. I'm never, ever, ever, uh, and, and I've had fights. I'll never forget a, a teammate of mine at USC that the tension before the USC Notre Dame game, mm-hmm. it was the day before in South Bend, and he was one of my best friends on the team. Right. We came in from our walkthrough on Saturday, and we lockered next to each other because we were our jerseys were only two jerseys apart, the number. And I kind of we, we kind of bumped into each other. And the 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 anxiety getting ready to play Notre Dame and SC, that rivalry, we got into a fist fight in the locker room, had to be separated the day before a game. Oh wow. And then the next day, John McKay comes in as a guest. Our head coach Ted Toner says, We got a guest today. And all in walks John McKay. So all that tension, you're like, oh my gosh, Coach McKay. And my buddy and I, after we were done, we're laughing about it to this day, but it was stupid, but it's so tense. And then John McKay comes in the next day and he goes, I don't care. And we didn't know he was going to speak. Right. I don't care where you play, what game you play in, Rose Bowl, Super Bowl, years in the NFL, you will never, ever remember a game more than SC versus Notre Dame. Don't forget it. I'll, I'll never forget it to this day. And the hair on the back of your neck stands up, and you're like, forget fighting my own teammate. I want to go fight Notre Dame, right? And so the experiences. But that's a great question. I've been blessed. Competitive fights on the field, but the teammates that I have and the friendships still to this day and seeing what those guys go through, their bodies and, you know, the good family guys and the difficulties and the successes. My teammates and the laughs are the most important thing to me and the, and the relationships. You hear that a lot. But there's no BS when it comes to that. You remember that and the competition the most. What was it like just being coached by Danny Green and Bobby Ross? I uh, loved it. Uh, another thing, I had John Robinson, who he was probably the best. He John Robinson could push everybody's butt in the right way. That guy had a way of making you want to run over it, jump over a wall, run through it, run around it, whatever. He was just he, – he, he had a – there was a way about him that – he just he he everybody loved him, right? Backups thought they were starters because of Coach Robinson. Uh, I had Jerry Burns, God rest his soul, my first year in Minnesota. And Burnsy, if you ever got am I allowed to swear on this? Sure. Go for it. But Jerry Burns, guys, you if you get a chance, we hear all the rants like Jim Mora and our guy Denny Green. Right. Go and listen to say Denny, say uh the Google it when we're off this show. Jerry Burns rant about Bob Schnelker, who was an, our offensive coordinator. Okay. And I'm going to say, and he looked like Burgess Meredith. And this is done in an affectionate way because Burnsy <laughs> was one of the, he, he Burnsy was the greatest F-bomb. He was like De Niro or Pacino. When he said fuck, it was like, God, that's a cool way to say it. I wish I could say it like him, right? He's, right. He, he was a great cusser. And so he did. And I, I do this because how Burnsy sounded. So I had a couple of buddies that could imitate him to perfection. But go listen to that, the raw feed, and it's the greatest rant ever. Bob Schnelker, these cocksuckers, I, I can't believe the fans said, boo, boo. Why, why are they booing Bob Schnelker? You put his name on the damn board, these, these cocksuckers, fuck. I mean, he would go, Burnsy was the greatest cusser of all time. And I'm not a big cusser, but I'll sling an F-bomb once in a while. But this is describing what he was like, and right. we were starting at one time, our, our long snapper, Mike Morris, was in, a, in about a six-minute meeting. How many times Burns he dropped an F-bomb? I think he got to like 58 or 60 or something. <laughs> it was, But it was affectionate because we miss him. And, well, great veteran, 94 years old, a great – he loved veteran players. And I was heartbroken last week when he heard he passed away. But, boy, did he get full 
a full life. But go listen to that, and you will cry laughing listening to how – and Bernsey loved his coaching staff and players, and he would have – you would have had to, you know – Beat his, beat him up and kick him while he was down. Did not have him defend his players. So Denny Green, spectacular. Denny Green had a way of. He, Denny Green, I'll know Chris Carter used to always call me white bread. Chris and I vacation. <laughs> he always called me white bread. We'd be stretching and going through the lines, and Denny'd be walking around the lines, and Chris and I were always he'd go, "Hey, white bread, how's your wife and my kids?" He'd say <laughs> stuff like Chris Carter, and and I'd say. No problem, but tell your wife that mole on the inside of her thigh, you, she needs to get rid of that. I'm tired of seeing it when I come over. So we'd laugh back and forth, right? And so one time in a game, I start off, and I'm not playing well early. And I'll never forget, Chris and I are coming to the sidelines, and Denny looks at Chris, and he goes, Chris, you got to get white bread going. And I was, I'm crying, laughing. You had to be there, but it just – and then Denny, Denny was the guy that could call you into his office. God rest his soul, too is he could call you into his office and you'd be a little nervous. And then you'd come out and say, oh, I'm fired up. And you'd leave and you're like, I'm not really sure what he told me, but damn, I'll do anything for him. And and he offered me a coaching job in Arizona to be this quarterback coach when he took that job. And at the 11th hour, I turned it down to stay at ESPN. Loved him. I was honored. And Coach Ross, you know, old military guy, you'd either going to do it the right way or not do it at all. Man, you want to talk about the impact that guys like Brian Billick had on me and Bobby Ross and Dennis Green. There's something to take from all of them that that uh, uh, heartbroken that some of them are gone, but uh, was blessed that I was able to be coached by them because they made me a better person and sure as hell made me a better player. How was your relationship with Tony Dungy when he was defensive coordinator with the Vikings? Phenomenal. Speaking of cuss words, I have never – <laughs> Tony Dungy is maybe the finest man and coach combination I've ever been around, which, I mean, it's pretty obvious the, the human he is, right, when it comes right. to being a family man. And I've never heard Tony Dungy cuss, mm-hmm. ever. And I never heard on the field, I never heard him raise his voice in a negative way. And and we had a defensive end coach, and you guys know him, John Tierlink. He coached in Indianapolis for all those years. One of the great pass rushing coaches. We had him in Minnesota, and JT was emotional. 180 degrees opposite of, of Tony. And when Tony went to Indy, he took John Tierlink with him to be his defensive line coach. And Dwight Freeney became one of the great sack guys on the, on the planet. And a lot of that was Tierlink and his energy. But they were so different. And Tony never judged. And I'll never forget having the conversation with Tony while he was in our, on our defensive staff. You think about that staff. I mean, in, in USC, we had John Robinson, Dave Wanstead, R.C. Slocum, Chuck Pagano, um, Marv Goo. North Turner, Ron Turner. I mean, it, oh, it was it, uh, Hudson Hauk. Wow. That, that was my freshman wow. year. That was our coaching staff. You, yeah. uh, Gil Haskell, who was an offensive coordinator in Seattle for a long yeah. time, under Mike Holmgren. That was our coaching staff. I mean, we were, we were, you talk about loaded with players. Although those, we got some more Super Bowl rings and national championship rings from those coaches that left. I mean, you're talking about Hall of Fame coaches all over. And so, uh, Tony, but, Tony never judged anybody that didn't, wasn't like, you know, didn't coach like him. He knew what he wanted. And I remember having a conversation with him, and I hold him in such high regard, such a humble, great man, but an unbelievable teacher. And we'd talk, and he's the reason why when I tell quarterbacks that I train, mm-hmm. I say, go spend time, not just with your offensive coordinator, go ask the defensive coaches how they would defend you. So you can find out what you're weak, not just us on offense, 
Don't just talk to me, the coordinator or the quarterback coach, or, or if you're in the NFL or in high school, go talk to your defensive coordinator. Because I learned so much watching the way Tony dealt with players and adversity and success as well. And I said, go, go talk to those guys. Talk to how Tony Dungy would defend you. Talk to how your high school defensive coordinator would defend you if you were on another team. And I think it's important. And I would tell anybody, I would tell, I would tell Baker Mayfield that right today. I would tell Zach Wilson, go spend time with Robert Sala. Ask him on the defensive side, how would you defend me? So you know how to stay out of your weaknesses. But Tony was humble and gracious. And we talked about, at that time, the lack of hiring of African-American coaches. And Tony was never, never going to blame it on that. He was never when he had every right to. He was qualified and getting passed over. And we had that discussion. I said, you know, it's going to happen. I, we, we, we had it. And I said, he goes, yeah, Sean, he goes, it's a learning experience. And everything, as, as typical as Tony, he knew at some point, not only faith, but preparation was going to see him through. I learned a great deal of perspective for a man who should have been a head coach sooner than he was and had to go through whatever reason we don't do enough hiring or giving opportunities. That's for another whole show, guys, to minority right. coaches. Hopefully we're going to get better. But yeah. Tony was one of the great to Tony Dungy, and he's the one who talked to me because, you know, we want you want to be known as a great head coach who happens to be that's proud of his heritage and, and who who happens to be black. We got to get to the point. And Warren Moon and Donovan McNabb and I would discuss that. We got to quit getting to the point where, and, and hopefully we're past it, but we're, we're not. That's the reality of it, especially right. when it comes to coaches. We would talk about, you know, we got to get to the point where we quit saying, uh, "Oh, he he's black," and "Oh, by the way, he's a great player." We got to get to the point, man. This is a great player who earned the Hall of Fame, starting quarterback, Pro Bowl MVP, and he and he happens to be black. It needed to be not that you're not proud of it, but this this we're not doing charity cases here. These guys have earned it. They've earned the right. Warren Moon and Donovan McNabb and Mike Vick and Randall Cunningham and and the the whole I mean Lamar Jackson and Kyler Murray and Russ Wilson to to be treated the way that they should be, right? I mean the way that exactly. Tony Tony was really good at. Well, you knew that, gosh, come on, man. And, and Tony wasn't a self-promoter. Right. Tony was always just, I'm going to do what I do. I'm going to coach. I'm going to be humble and present a great package to, the, to, to whoever's interviewing me. And I watched how he went about his business. And white, black, uh, uh, Hispanic, uh, Hawaiian, I don't care who it is. He went about his business the, the way – that he said when they hire, it'll be the right time. And it was, and he's a hall of famer and rightfully so, but I gained a great deal of perspective on watching a guy deal with, we damn well know should have been a head coach earlier. And we still see guys going through that. And that's like I said, not to put a, Oh my gosh, what a bummer another for another conversation, but it's important to note that, that, that we need more opportunities and more serious interviews for, for minority coaches. And Tony taught me a great deal about that. One of the finest coaches in humans, but that's that, that's obviously Captain Obvious statement because we all know that about Tony Dungy. Phenomenal human. Oh, yeah. You're absolutely right about it. Yep. I, I will say now, uh, I'll kind of interrupt Fuji here for a second, but I, I will say when it comes to Tony Jun, uh, Tony Dungy, as you were talking about, Sean, and, and we will have that discussion for another show. It'd be great to set that one up because I think that one definitely needs to come to the forefront. But great. I will say, how did your feeling – Tony Dungy, we saw what he did with the Buccaneers, right? And then he was let go, and he moves up to Indy. Following year, Tampa wins the Super Bowl under Chucky. To me, was it and, and I've been I wish I can ask Tony Dungy the question himself. 
But he led that team to a Super Bowl championship, and he was cutting. Thank God he won one with the Colts, that the Colts believed in him enough to be a head coach. If he would have never gotten the opportunity, does anyone ever credit Tony? I, You know, you hear it on some sports shows like, hey, you know, yeah, Tony was there, but Chucky was the one that did it. But Tony was the one that put the blood, sweat, and tears into that team to get it as popular as it became, ordered for another head coach to win the following year. So if would we be looking at Tony Dungy in a whole different light if he never had the opportunity to actually win one? Oh, probably, because we, we judge unfairly coaches and quarterbacks by Super Bowls. Uh, you're going to tell me that Dan Marino was the reason they didn't win Super Bowls? Right. No, of course. Without Dan Marino, they didn't do, probably at those times they weren't getting a sniff, right, guys? I mean, so, and Danny, to this day, what do we always hear? Oh, the best pure thrower ever, he and Aaron Rodgers. And But but what do we hear at the end of the day? There's, there's like a but. There shouldn't be. Marino has friggin' earned the right to be one of the greats. If Dan was in San Francisco on Joe's teams right. and Joe was in San Francisco, Joe's in my pecking order, it goes Tom Brady, Joe Montana, one, two right now, as far as the all time best. But what would have happened if Joe was in Miami and Dan was in San Francisco? Would Dan have four Super Bowls? Maybe. Would Joe have won one? Maybe. And he may, may not have. Right. So right. we don't know. We put too much. It's, it's so unfair in 11 on 11. Have you ever noticed whenever we're talking about the right guard, do we ever say, uh, oh, by the way, he had 12 Pro Bowls. And uh, do, do we ever mention, yeah, but he didn't win a Super Bowl? No. no. 12 Pro Bowls, he's going to Pro Bowl. Junior Seau. Yeah. Phenomenal human being. But when we talk about Junior Seau, aside from the, the tragic end to his life, as good a linebacker, outside linebacker we've, we've ever had. The guy's phenomenal. And you sit there, but we don't say, oh, but Junior but, but, but Junior didn't go to Super. I mean, he went to one but didn't win one. You know, he lost to San Francisco. We don't say that. We don't say that about other players. It's the coach, the quarterback. I know they get paid the big money, but we judge those guys by that, yet we don't judge the punter or the right, right tackle. If they do get a Super Bowl, it's like, oh, yeah, and by the way, you got three Super Bowl rings. But the number one thing we say about a quarterback, did he win a Super Bowl? So it's, exactly. it's a bit absurd. It's the same thing about a head coach. We don't ask, uh, well, did the offensive coordinator win a Super Bowl? No, the head coach won a Super Bowl or he lost one. So, no, I, we Tony probably wouldn't get the credit if he didn't get the Indianapolis Super Bowl. But, yes, both John Gruden and Tony deserve um, credit because Tony built something special, players, defense, along with Monty Kiffin, right? And then all the – and John comes in. And it's a tribute to John because some coaches can come in on a good team and screw it up, right? John left Oakland, capitalized in, uh, or excuse me, was in, uh, and again, capitalized in Tampa, you know, and and took great players and got a Super Bowl. Brad Johnson played well, a defense that was lights out. They survived offensively, made enough plays, and their defense was silly good. So Tony and John both. So it's a tribute to both, but of course not. Had Tony not have got a chance to win a Super Bowl, and, and and maybe he would have won three more, but if he didn't get a chance to win that Super Bowl, like always, people would say, yeah, Tony was phenomenal, but he didn't get a Super Bowl, which right. would be unfair, but that's how – look what he said about Andy Reid. Andy sure. Reid was a Hall of Famer before he won the Super Bowl two years ago. Look yeah, at his exactly. numbers. They're, you know, it's like Dusty Baker is the – baseball's version of, of, of Andy Reid was. All these, world, all these wins, all that, but, man – what did they say about Dusty? Well, didn't quite handle pitching staffs and didn't win a World Series. But Dusty's been great for teams. And Andy Reid, up until they won a Super Bowl, well, they throw too much. He couldn't win the big one, right? right. Yet he's got all these wins, and he's a phenomenal human being. And then he gets Patrick Mahomes, 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and life, he changes a few things and life's good. Great coaching staff. It all comes together and God bless him. And that's supposed to validate him. I mean, it's a great validation and Andy earned it. But Andy Reid was a Hall of Famer before he was crowned a Super Bowl champion, just like Tony Dungy was. Yep. But that one game, that one win, we seem to hold that in central. And I get it because that's the sport and that's the nature of it. But it's unfair to judge Andy or Danny Marino or Tony Dungy or anybody that, oh, he only won one. Oh, he lost two. Well, there's 11 guys on offense and defense. There's a lot of factors that go into it. But we seem to say championships validate. And then if you're Tom Brady and you win like 14 of them, well, then you're, you're pretty right. good. So, yeah, it's unfair. But the guys that play it, Andy, Tony coaching it, Dan, any of them, Aaron trying to get back to another one, Rodgers, mm -hmm. they know that that's the pressure that goes with playing the position. Unfair or not, that's why you get paid the big money and you deal with it along the way, and, and that's what they do. But Tony Dungy, you won't meet, and he's just such a calm explain. Sometimes you want to say, Tony, you're going to get mad? No, nah, no need, man. So he calms you down, right? So uh, it was an honor, and there could be no finer man that's, that's graced the sidelines. I mean, when you think about the best of the best, Tony Dungy and the impact he's made on players. Yeah. Uh, phenomenal. And look what he done with Michael Vick, you know, coming Oh, out. no doubt. Dude, and, yeah. and he and Andy both. Andy Reid yeah. giving him a second chance. Right. Michael making the most of it, turning his life around. Second chances and forgiveness are a good thing. And yeah. not judging people are a good thing because when you open the closet, we all got a skeleton or two that'll fall out. Some are bigger than others. Some are more than others. But uh, – I, I'm in I'm in the business of rooting for people's success, and 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 I'll continue to stay that way. And I think I think that the guys like Andy Reid and Tony Dungy live by that, and they were great example setters for the rest of us. Right. I listen. I agree as one, well. and I think Andy Reid, you're you're absolutely right because I know as, as Eagles fans, I will say that we we talked about it. He was the best regular season coach ever. He just came playoff time, and he couldn't get through it. And and I know unfortunately the way it ended for Andy in Philly. It was really tough because I know he was going through it with his one son, and as he was trying to turn his life around, unfortunately he passed away in, in Philly as well. You know, the last time they went to camp, so a lot of things just went wrong for Andy, and then finally he was able to, you know, to get over that hump and and win a big one. Of course, try to do it again last year, but Tom Brady and the Bucks had other plans to to get things done in Tampa Bay as well. So it, it is unfortunate, an unfortunate shame for Andy, but I'm glad that Andy finally got one himself. I mean, and you're you're 100 right. It didn't have to take for him to win a Super Bowl for Andy to be that Hall of Fame quarterback or sorry, co um, coach. Head coach, and if right? You look at it. You know, look at that tree that came down from Green Bay. I mean, oh. it, it's unbelievable yeah, that Andy, coaching tree that came down. Andy's a guy you want to coach with, you know. And and I think players, if you say who's a coach you didn't get to play for, you'd want to play for. I, I don't know many that wouldn't say Andy Reid. And I got to tell you guys, I love Philadelphia football fans. I know you guys take a lot of heat. You know why? I'm oh, being serious about I this. I, def I defend them. I defend them on uh, – you guys put it back. I do. You guys are like, oh, sure you do. I do. Even though when you go there, they cuss at your mom. When my mom went to a game, you can't bring anybody there. I love them. I'll tell you why. Passion. Yeah. They want excellence. And they demand it. If you're good in Philly and don't make excuses as a player – you're a king forever. I go back to watching the Broad Street Bullies and Bobby Clark and Bill Barber and then mm -hmm. the old Phillies right. with Michael Jack Schmidt and the Bull Lazinski and Larry Boa, who kind of epitomized Philly when he was there, right? Tough, hard-nosed, um, and as a player and getting after it. Mm -hmm. I just – I love Philly fans and, and the way – because smart fans that love a winner and 
even though I've, I've been booed plenty of times by them, um, <laughs> I, I love the passion of them and I, I love how they get after it. So you guys, uh, I know a Super Bowl was fun for you guys to get another one with Nick and the group, Nick Foles, and sure I couldn't have been I couldn't yeah. have been happier for him. That was a hell of a football game. Oh, all we ask is Eagle fans slash Philly fans, as Brian Dawkins quoted, "You better bring your lunch pail every oh, day." And BD did, and bring it every and day. You better every bring day. it every doggone play. Yep, you're not kidding. And Brian Dawkins did that. Think about that. I remember playing against him when Bud Carson was a D coordinator. And, and we had to play, you know, Mike Golick was on that team and, and Jerome Brown and Reggie White and, and uh, uh, Eric Allen and Seth Joyner. I mean, it was like when you're coming out of the locker room for pregame, it's like and – and the police are in their pleather jackets <laughs> riding on the sidelines on the horses, and you're like, oh. And you knew from the opening snap. It's the truth about Pittsburgh playing in three rivers, and I played when it was in the vet, right? And you knew those two teams – epitomize their cities hard-nosed great tailgating cold beer and some good at some good ass food mm. and when the game started they were going to get after it and their players like represented the city too because i never came out of a pittsburgh or philly game without my brains beat in I i'm just telling you when i played mm. pittsburgh i'd come out and you bruised up in philly that game from the opening snap you get hit it's like oh it's going to be a long game so if you're faint of heart playing against philly and against Pittsburgh, that whole state had great representation. And so um, I love the competitiveness of, of both. And you Philly fans are, are something, man. So it's fun to watch. Not to interrupt you. Don't forget my man. God, rest in peace, Jerome Brown. And yeah, I, know, I, thought I, I thought I mentioned Jerome's name. I, yeah. Jerome was on that That's line right. along with Reggie. Uh, Jerome and Reggie. And I think Pitts was on that line. Like I said, mm -hmm. Seth Joyner, Byron Evans. I mean, freaking loaded. And um Yes. Wes Hopkins. Yes, he was on that squad. Randall Cunningham. I mean, they were loaded, man. They loaded they in every position, and you knew you were in for a fist fight. And if, like I said, if you were faint of heart, that's the wrong, wrong team to play in those days. And, sure and that, that city, that city, that the, the teams do a good job of representing their city. I like it. Bodies, yeah. boys. Yeah, there, there a, you go. That's right. There's a chant that we do in Philadelphia. I I, I wish I had a cued because the, the chant <laughs> everywhere we go is it, pretty much played. And it's just it's, it's a Philly thing. No one will understand that because mm -hmm. you go to different venues and people are like, why are they so angry? First of all, it's the hardest blue-collar town, I would say, anywhere in America where you have to prove yourself even to your employer. Every Forget day. about the NBA or anything else. I mean, you got to prove yourself to the employers. Yeah, it, it's gut-wrenching. And I, I will tell you, Sean, and I got a couple of questions I want to bring up here on the comments. If you know how you go to a psychiatrist and the psychiatrist says, I'm going to say two words. And as soon as I say those two words, he snaps his fingers and the person either calms down or goes nuts. So I will tell you the, the magical key words for Fuji. If you say Howie Roseman, you'll send him in for a whirlwind. So I love it. You guys see, that's what I'm talking about. And I, I'm only going to say what Philly fans want me to say when I'm in that city while I'm eating a cheesesteak. I will tell you this too, man. I, I go back to the days when, when McGinnis and Daryl Dawkins and the man, Dave Zinkoff with Doc, you know, Zink. I don't used to now see you guys may be too young to remember him. I remember he'd be at the spectrum and Zinkoff would, and it, you know, when he'd say no college, Daryl Dawkins, no smoking in the auditorium, please. I, the I know all about your Philly guys, man. I know all about it. All the doctor, doctor Julius Lakers, Lakers call time. No smoking in the auditorium. The Lakers and the Sixers 
Thank you. Um, yeah, great stuff by Zinc, man. Awesome. It sure was. Uh, Joey B, big fan of the show. He's out there in Colorado. He says, Sean, how close were you to signing with BYU in 1986? Um, I hardest decision up until turning Lavelle Edwards down. Hardest decision, I probably it was the first big decision of my life when you're choosing which school to go to. Um, Lavelle Edwards was in town. Uh, well, I I had I teared up at 17 or I was 17 years old at the time when I made the decision. It was I was so close. I'll never forget when I left my recruiting trip at BYU. They were th listen. BYU was doing things with the football. Now with Norm Chow and Lavelle Edwards and Roger French, the teams are doing now and are getting credit for. BYU was doing this in the 80s. I'm just telling you, they were running people everywhere. We just call it a different offense now. BYU is way ahead. NFL coaches and college coaches from all over the country would go clinic with those guys to find out what they were doing. And I got one of the great compliments of all time. Uh, a buddy of mine told me two weeks ago, uh, talking about that, that Norm Chow had told him because he coached on a staff with Norm Chow, the great offensive coordinator. And, I, and it's a, I'll take these compliments whenever I get them. He goes, yeah, we had Heisman trophies and they did it. But he looked at him, he said, could you imagine what we would have done with Sean coming out of high school? And that made me feel good because uh, people always wondered, well, Sean, you're a big pocket guy. Why would you not go to BYU and go to hand it off at SC? Well, Lavelle Edwards told me the last words he said to me before I left my BYU recruiting trip it was my second to last trip. He said, whatever you do, don't let USC roll out the red carpet and steal you from us. And unfortunately, I made the decision to go. Not unfortunately, I'm a proud Trojan. I'm grateful. But unfortunately, their recruiting pitch and playing at USC was a dream growing up. But I was literally, I did not have my decision made until recruiting day. I waffled back and forth. And I knew I made the right decision. But I, Jim Nance, give me how he goes, because Jim was working in Salt Lake City at the time. He said, man, that Heisman Trophy could have been, you know, I, get, I catch flack all over from guys who went to BYU um, but they sure did fine without me. They won a national title. Steve Young, Jim McMahon. They were, I'd say they, they, they did okay with those guys and Robbie Bosco. So Thank to answer you. the question, to answer the que yes, to answer the question, uh, maybe still one of the toughest decision, if not the toughest decision of my football life was, uh, deciding USC over BYU. I, I don't have any regrets, but I do wonder regularly what it would have been like to drop back and throw in that offense. So I appreciate the question. I, I train a kid at BYU now and uh, one of the great places, great people. Lavelle Edwards is a lot like uh, when, when, you, when you think about Lavelle Edwards, talk about a guy who was a quality human being and, you know, the, the BYU and people who knew him when he was alive were lucky to be coached by him. And I, he, he was felt like a second father when he was recruiting me. So it was a difficult decision. And I love BYU and I love everything about that program. Hard decision for me. And it'll go down as one of the difficult decisions I've ever made. And I do sometimes get cold sweats thinking about what it would have been like to throw the football in that offense. Yeah. It, 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 great question and a great answer. Thank you so much. And you just reminded me as I'm coming up on the next question here, when you said, you know, if you're throwing back and you're getting ready to, to launch it, it reminds me of, uh, Uncle Rico from uh, Napoleon Dynamite, when he said if he's looking at the mountains, if, if I could just throw it over those mountains. Right. Just kind of quick flashback when right. you just said that. Uh, Bill McManus, another great friend of the show here. He says, Sean, do you have any regrets not playing hoops for USC? Um, and I'm not, like I said, I'm not a, my career, I, I, people were far better. I was fortunate that I was, I was a, 
not to make the fish story bigger, but I was recruited in all three football, basketball, and baseball to play college ball. And the truth is I didn't play football until I got to high school. I, I played tackle with my buddies in the park. I never played football. I didn't even know how to put pads on my freshman year when I got to my high school. I was a basketball and baseball guy. So I'll make this answer short. I was going to USC to play. Uh, Rod Dato had asked me if I'd play baseball, and I said yes. He was a baseball coach. You know, Think about that team. Randy Johnson, Mark McGuire, Jack Del Rio was the catcher. Rodney Pete came along and played middle infield. We were loaded with uh, Lou Brock's son, Lou Brock Jr. A lot of football guys played, and I was going to play baseball. But basketball, Stan Morrison had recruited me. And I, he came up to me. I wasn't going to play my freshman year because I wanted to win the quarterback job first. So my sophomore year, he came up to me about three weeks before. Uh, we were about going into game seven or eight. We were six and one. We were like one of the top teams in America my sophomore year. And about two weeks before, Stan Morrison had come up to me in the, in, at Heritage Hall and said, now remember when this season ends, I, I need you out there playing basketball for me. I said, coach, I'll be there. Second, the season's over. The next day, I'll be on basketball court lace them up ready to go. And that was my, I felt that was my sport in high school. And I'll be damned if two weeks later, I don't shred my knee. So I rehab it. I couldn't play basketball or baseball. Come back my junior year while I'm rehabbing, had to win the job again in the spring. So I couldn't play. And my knee was still getting healthy. Played a football year, shredded my knee again the next year. So I shredded my knee, missed two years, could not play basketball. So yeah, regrets. Yeah. Unfortunately, it was out of my control because I couldn't play because I had to keep winning jobs. I mean, keeping my job as a quarterback and for month after month, shredding an ACL and playing without an ACL. If I could do it over again and guarantee I wouldn't be hurt at some point, I would have played all three sports at USC in one season. Um, and I do miss playing basketball. That was my favorite sport. And so the regrets are, I didn't get to play the regret. It wasn't one of those decisions where I said, I'm not going to play. I just couldn't because the shredded knee twice. And by that time, then you're working on the next career of, well, I got to play in the NFL. Now I got to get myself set to overcome these two knee injuries. So not an excuse. Yeah. I would have loved to play college basketball and baseball at Southern Cal and college basketball was first on the docket for sure. Yeah. There's, there's two more that I'm going to bring up here before I turn back over to the guys. And it's a kind of combined uh, question here from Joey B. One was, he said, what are your thoughts of Tim Tebow being re-signed by, or getting signed by the Jaguars? And then the follow-up one was, was how was he experienced broadcasting the laundry football league? Um, you know what? I, a buddy of mine was running the league. I'll answer that one first. And I was in between gigs and he'd said, you want to, and another friend of mine who'd worked with the Chicago Bulls as a broadcaster said, let's do it. I tell you what, um, they, first of all, it was, I, I enjoyed, you know, broadcasting with my partner, but I'm going to tell you something now. They were tough. They played hard. They prepared hard. They loved it. Those, those gals, they, they didn't, there wasn't a joke for them. Right. You know, they, they got after it. They loved playing. They'll market the, they, they marketed the league as hard as they could. I, I, you know, people, you know, joke about that stuff. I was into the football side of it because I, I, there was times, there was a girl who played for one of the Philadelphia teams, and I can't remember his running back. I, I'm telling you what, guys, she was, and it, it was a long one. I can't remember her name now. Phenomenal player. I watched some of these gals drop back and throw a, a, a curl route or a go route, and I'm like, damn. So I gained a great appreciation and respect for the. And then you watch some of the hits, and they were playing without pads on. You know, they're going around beating each other like we do in the park. They were going out. And so I actually. The, the the year I got to do it in between gigs, I was 
I, you know, people joke about it. I, I, I thought they played hard. Uh, you know, you wish that the league would continue to go because I think people saw something different. I had nothing but the utmost respect and held them in high regard. And I thought it was pretty cool because there were some really, really um, great, great um, players, great players in that league that could throw it, tack, tackle, run. And I'm thinking, ooh, I'm glad I don't play anymore. I'm not standing in that pocket with some of these gals getting after that quarterback. So, yeah, much respect for them. So and it was it was cool to help a friend out and, and be a part of that. Um, as far as the the other one uh, with Tim Tebow, listen, I don't know why the hate for him. I, I don't. And I know that, that, that he's a lightning rod for publicity. And I, I guess for me, 10, 15 years ago, I said, dude, come on, man, get out. But I, I've changed. I try to see the glass half full. Now, I'm not right. afraid to voice an opinion, but why are we <laughs> mad at a guy who wants to keep playing sports? Eventually, somebody's going to look at him and say, you're too old. We all go through that, right? right? So I don't hate him for wanting to play football and baseball. Yes, he was not going to make it to the major leagues in baseball. It's so hard to do. Mm -hmm. he, he, you know, he had his run as a quarterback. Listen, I, I don't, I'm not mad at him, and I'm never going to tell a guy. Most guys want to – you've got to drag him off the field. I don't mean literally, but they'll play past the, the time because, well – it's the only job I know that at 35 you're over the hill when most people are just starting in their careers, right? So it's it's a tough gig, yeah. and I get it. Um, he's going to have a hard time. The transition, you don't just stay out of football for eight or nine years and play quarterback and then say, I think I'll go be an H-back tight end and, and then I'll be great at it. Now, he may, but here's the deal with credibility, and it's Urban Meyer mixed in too. I'm glad Tim's getting a chance, but if Urban Meyer wants to keep credibility, he's got to judge this like he would everybody else. Yeah. If Tim Tebow proves early that he can't play the position, in order to keep credibility, you can't just keep him around because you're buddies. That locker room, his first time as an NFL head coach, going to be watching closely. They're going to be saying, are you committed to a championship? Or is this nepotism where he's like family that you're going to keep him on the roster just because you guys liked him and you coached him at Florida? Now, if Tim Tebow earns the job and proves that he can play, and his reps are as solid as the other backup tight end, and he's running down on special teams and – throwing his body in there. Damn, why would we hate it? But he's got to be one of my 53 or whatever best. And if he's not, then you can't be afraid to cut him. He's a hell of a guy and a really good guy. But if you keep him around and somebody else is getting, you know, not getting the reps they deserve and he's a better player, you will lose a locker room if you're Urban Meyer. You got to be willing to cut him if he's not, if, if he's, if he's not one of your 53 best. Right. If he is, you play it. It's going to be a tough road, guys, because he's used to with the ball in his hand, dropping back, running around, making plays. Now he's got to put his hand in the dirt, go in motion, and block somebody 6'4", 6 6'5", 6 the way he's 245. He's got to block Miles Garrett. You want to do that? Yeah. As, as, as studly as he is, he's in his 30s, he's been out of the league. Miles Garrett's going to come up and thump him one time, and he's going to be like, whoa, this is a little different. And that's every day, and it's the grind. you got to run down and get the hell kicked out of you on special teams. So – I root for guys to have success. I don't root for anybody to fail, but it's a slippery slope because let's face facts. If Urban Meyer wasn't the coach, Tim Tebow would not have signed in Jacksonville. He would not That's be true. playing football this year. That's not a dog on him. I root him on. I, and he's a, I've met him. He's a good dude. But if he's taking reps from somebody better, then Urban Meyer has to play the guy that's better. And if it's Tim Tebow, God bless him. I don't think you're going to see him make an impact at that position. That's just my opinion. <clears throat> oh, a lot of defensive guys are going to be gunning for him, especially being Tim Tebow. Right. Lay him out. Not right. that you want to see that, but that's just, you know, hey, somebody wants to make a name for themselves. Oh, yeah. Hey, and he's going to get, listen, 
He's going to get a lot of publicity. Here's the problem is now he's no longer the quarterback. He's going to be grinding. People are going to want to talk about Trevor Lawrence now, right, guys? And mm-hmm. Urban Meyer. So he's he's no longer, even as a backup, or he's the lightning rod. It's Tim Tebow. Now he's in his right. 30s. He's went through the minor leagues in a baseball uniform, and people say, come on, man, it's time to move on. And now he's back to football. I, I love that he's got the guts to go out and try and put him, set himself up for criticism because, in truth, failure's probably at this, probably going to be easier than success. But he's touched a lot of lives, man. I don't hate a guy for trying, but you can't let him take away the reps of somebody better or, or Urban will lose credibility in the locker room. And you can't do that as a rookie head coach in the NFL. Sean, I'm going to chime in here and uh, just get my two cents in. because I, you know, And I appreciate it's been a pleasure sitting back and oh, listening to you man. talk about everything. And thank you so much for being on. And now I have to apologize for the tangent that I'm going to go on because I want to get your honest opinion, and I know you're going to hit me with it, all right? Please. You and I come from – you're a little bit older than I am. I'm not going to give away my age. I won't give away Sean's age. You just look but- older. No, <laughs> I played in the 80s. I played high school quarterback. I played both ways, offense, defense. A lot of us did and whatnot. And then, you know, I saw you play in the 80s. You know, we come – and this is what pisses me off, and I'm going to start. I'm going to start ranting. Have at it, brother. You and I come from a different era of football, the way it was played, and the last 10, 12 years, it's turned into. And I'm sorry to say it like this: it's a pussy sport now, as far as I'm concerned. You can blow on somebody and get a penalty. You hit the guy the wrong way. It's probably not a penalty, but they're going to call it. Sean. And you heard Ray Lewis talk about it after the Super Bowl, after what went down in the first half, at the end of the first half in the Super Bowl, when the officials got involved. And, Sean, I've had so many friends, or so many conversations with my friends about this. And we, we were talking to Seth Joyner about this last week because we had I Seth, on, Seth. The show. Had guy, Seth on the show. And he said, you know, guys can still play the game in the way it's supposed to be played. They just have to tailor the game. Sean, and I want to get your honest opinion Unless something is so egregious that you have to call it, keep the damn hanky in the pocket. Let them play football. Let it get back to the way it used to be. I'm sick and tired of it. And I know there's a little bit, there's a little inkling in you that feels the same way. Hit me with well, your Hit me well, with your more, Yeah, more than a little. Let's put it this way. The athletes are great. The game's not better, though. That, that, and, and understand what I'm saying. Not that they – when I always laugh, when, well, Tom Brady couldn't play in the 70s. Yes, yes, he could have. And, well, uh, Dan Marino couldn't play. Oh, Dan Marino would throw for 6,000 yards because you don't get a hit. So – but that's not the, the – when it comes to the rules on the field, and you make a great point, and, and whether we call it, oh, the, the game's pussified now, uh, there's no doubt this isn't the brand of football. See, guys like Ronnie Lott or Jack Lambert wouldn't survive because <laughs> right. they'd be penalized. Oh, and, and not that they didn't hit legally, but they hit – violently not cheap but this is a violent sport we don't put flags on we don't play two-hand touch and we know what we're getting into the officials listen i'm all about safety but i'm all about not losing the integrity of football to sacrifice listen we're worried about head injuries i get it i i do but shouldn't we also be worried about knee injuries and ankle injuries and back injuries it's the it's the full body listen the game the physical part of the game when it comes to the players, the only thing that pisses me off about the players is, but they're giving it to them, is when you collect a bargaining agreement, they, they, they continue to 
less in training camp, so you're getting sloppy football, right? We, we, I mean, we're at the point where two and a half weeks of training camp, you can't put pads on two practices in a row. You can't hit. And I, I think that's why we play some sluggish football early on in the season. I do. But, hey, if the players can get paid more and are working less, God bless them. It doesn't make for better visual football or better optics. Right. And the players right. are phenomenal. Mahomes could have played when Jack Lambert played, and Lambert could play now. But, I mean, if the rules were, were all the same. And so, yeah, I liked the old game better, and I love the players. The reason why is because I don't understand how when a, run, when a receiver's running a shallow crosser or a, an in route and the ball is in the air and the receiver ducks his head to get away from contact and the player's going low to get him in the thigh anyway to be safe and not hurt him, and there's collision and there's a penalty. It was nobody's fault. You can't call. You got to pick the flag up. You can't call helmet to helmet when two guys tried to get out of the way of the helmet. So I can go all day. And yes, when and I'm not saying well when I play, but in my era, I mean they could take two and a half steps, put their helmet in your chin, and they didn't call a penalty. And I'm not saying that that, that these guys are soft. Most quarterbacks I talk to, guys, they hate the rules. Now. We all, when somebody hits you late because you know the rules there, you turn back and look and say, am I going to get a flag here? Because you'll take right. the 15 yards. But most of the, the Rodgers or Brady or Manning, or Mahomes, <coughs> they don't like the rules of not that every rule is set up that the offense gets to score. Yeah, it's cool when you're putting up big numbers and getting paid, but they know, the, the, the players know. And so when you know that you're not going to do it, you play a different brand of game. But no, this brand of football is different, and it's not a get off my lawn statement. It's you're, I get why you're rant, and it's bothersome. So you have to adjust. So yes, the game we're watching now, some guys would have trouble with the physicality and the fact that we just let it go. Yes, we got to protect players. We got to take away the dirty, drop the crown of your helmet, try to hit a guy in the mouth, and end his career. That, that that's not acceptable. But it's a violent sport, and two guys colliding or a guy blocking. A guy away, I don't understand why a guy away can't unload on a guy trying to make a play. Because you know what happens when a safety backs off a legal, vicious but legal hit? You know what happens when he goes into the film room? And you know this. The next day, coach is saying, what, what, what the hell are you doing? Mm-hmm. You're supposed to hit that, that's, what, that's how we coach you. You're supposed to hit him. Well, I might get fined 75 grand. So they're being taught to do it, yet when they do it the right way, Somebody says, well, that's a little bit too vicious. Well, it's a vicious game. I didn't say cheat. I said play vicious. And right. if you and that's that that's listen, whether we like it or not, Sundays are vicious. And the hits are vicious, the speed, the size. So I don't blame it on the player. I blame it on the rules that every worried about a lawsuit. Well, what happens if this guy? Well, unfortunately, you yeah. hope nobody gets hurt, but you better draft well, you better scout well, and you better teach it well so we have safe hits. But if it's a violent legal hit and it was on me, uh, you're hitting me, I, I don't have a problem with it. But I don't know what rules are now. I don't know what a catch is. I don't know what a bang-bang right. play is. Right. I don't know how a guy, you expect him to be like Keanu Reeves in the Matrix and suspend in midair, and with two guys duck and try to avoid a hit, and they hit, somebody's penalized. I can't stand the college rule of kick a guy out because they, they in, you know, they, they, they helmet to helmet, and it could have been accident. There's got to be intent. We, we're overboard. And I think the officials at times that they can't keep up the game, get their ass out, get them out. And if you can't get instant replay out right in the booth, then get that out too. And let's go back to just playing and let's get after it. So, yes, I love the physicality. I love scoring. I love great hits. I like legal hits. So, yes, you're 100% correct. The game is different. The game has changed. 
I'm not going to say it's easier, but I can sure as hell tell you it's different. And there are some guys in the past and current guys that are alive that played a different brand of football that I'm sure they scratch their head every day. I want safety, but I don't want the integrity, the rules ruining certain parts of football. Vicious hits happen, and if they're legal, we can't penalize a guy or fine him for it. And I'll just follow up. I'll just follow up with that real quick, Fuji, and I'll let you let you and Nick get in here just just to follow up with what Sean said, and I'll direct it toward Sean again. I don't care what the players say about the rules and stuff. If you know damn well, Sean, that after a game, like after everything that the defensive or offensive players are doing to try and get to the point where okay, I'm comfortable. You know damn well when they get to the point where like. They're turning to the ref saying, what in the hell do you want us to do? Because we are trying to do everything within your rules, but you're still hitting us with stuff. So what are we supposed to do? Right. I don't know. And I'm an offensive player. I I, honest to God don't know how defensive players survive yearly. I I mean, you, you rush the passer and you say, and, and, you know, you'll hit a guy right when the ball's out, you hit him and disrupt his follow through and you make a legal hit and then you go down, you don't wrap up, you pull your hands off. The guy hits the ground hard. And it's like, I, 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 how, what do I do? Then if you don't hit him, you get cut unless you're a superstar. And then and if you're a superstar, you get fine. It's like, well, what do you want me to do? Do I tee off? Do I not? And then you get to the point where it's the reverse effect that some guys. And if I was a defensive player, I might have this mindset. Oh, you're going to find me for a legal hit. Ooh, I'm going to get my money's worth, dude. If you're going to get me for something I'm doing right, and, and, and so uh, if you're going to get me when when there's an opportunity to do wrong, I'm going to get my not to hurt a guy or cheap shot him, but I'm going to drive my shoulder through him when I because if I can get the quarterback out on a legal hit and I gave him a little extra oomph and I got to take a 15 yard penalty, oh well. Now most guys I hope don't think like that, but you're, you're it's a slippery slope, and you're exactly right. I, I don't know how. Sometimes you'll watch a guy make a block and you're like, or, or come inside and engage and he's not holding and they call a penalty or a defensive player runs by a quarterback and hits him on the shoulder pad one step after the throw and we're throwing a penalty? Come on, man. Right. We, 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 we got to do better. Our officials got to do better. And our rules committee has got to do better. We can't stand for where people are eye rolling every frigging week that it's eye roll, not just players. But the average fan sitting in the stands that may not even know the rules, like, is this the? Are we are we watching the type of game we're supposed to be watching? Right. So uh, I, I love the players. I don't put it on them. They're doing what they have to do within the rules. But we've got to find a way to protect players without taking nasty physical legal hits out of football. It's the way it's supposed to be played. And if you're doing it right, you should not be penalized for it. Sean, like you're saying, just to reiterate, it's it's it looks you know it looks like it's. You might as well play patty cake out there. I mean, it's yeah. And the and the it, I mean, listen, these athletes are so good. I think at times, guys, I don't think referees can keep up with them. I, I just don't. I think sometimes they. And I'm not dogging the refs. It's all. I wouldn't want that job. Can you imagine being an official? You're never right. I don't. I don't want that job. But I can tell you this. Can you imagine trying to be a, a guy, a side judge, and Tyreek Hill beats Jalen Ramsey, or there? I mean, trying to keep up on a catch and run across the field. Or trying to see all those bodies when they're rushing passers, and you got the best athletes in the world getting after it. I, I don't know how you do it. I wouldn't want it. I'm convinced that we probably need a couple more eyes out there, and and we got to make sure that the replay system and rules are concrete. What a catch is, 
there's too much discrepancy between what is and what isn't in certain rules, and I can't stand it. Well, uh, Sean, you make a really great point there. And I also want to thank you for coming on. This is the first time you've heard me. Um, I wanted to take it back to your draft. Uh, what What do you remember? What's your draft story? You went undrafted in 1986, signed with yep. the Seahawks. What, what was that process like for you? Well, I remember going back to and like living these stories. I, I was I can remember Mel Kuyper's report. And if I ever pull that back up, that for the first two years in Gil Brandt, that, that, that I was – a, a first round pick, a top five pick. And I was leading the nation in passing. And when I got hurt and I, this isn't a brag thing, but I'm thinking about, you know, when you're thinking, okay, I'm prepared myself coming out of school as the number one quarterback recruit in the country and playing at SE. I knew that if I did the right thing, I was going to have that chance. And I wanted to be that guy. Um, and when you go from what's supposed to be a first round pick and then shred your knee twice. And then on my draft day, I knew I wasn't going to get drafted there, but I thought third round to fifth round, I had had a good combine throwing the football and, you know, a pretty good career at SE, even though two seasons were interrupted. Um, and I was a great, I mean, I studied hard and I know people knew my uh, the, the intellectually and mental preparation that I was, that, that I, I, I believe was a cut above some of the guys that I was competing against. And that's okay. We all have things. And I, I could, you know, and I was rehabbing and, and going through it. And when I, I'll never forget, I, I didn't get drafted that day. And we had, we had tw- what, 12 or 11 rounds then guys. Right. And, and, and my knee and the rest of it. And uh, it was a horrible draft and I didn't have a big party. I just had my family over and I can remember thinking, okay, this, this is the round. Oh, this is the round. And I went through it and I, I never forget going to bed that night. And I told my dad, I wasn't going to play anymore. And I come from my dad's an 82nd airborne army ranger when he was alive. And he was a tough guy, but a very compassionate man. And I went to bed that night and my whole family was miserable because you think you're going to get drafted. But once the seventh or eighth round went, you really didn't want to get drafted anywhere because you wanted to go to a place where you had a chance. And I woke up the next morning and that was, I think, 10 or 11 of my Trojan teammates had been drafted that year. And I was in San Diego. My school is about two hours away. And my dad said, I said, I'm not going to play. He goes, you're going to get up out of that bed. He's yours. You're going to drive back to campus and you're going to go con- to the weight room and you're going to congratulate your buddies on campus. And you're going to tell them how proud you are. And you're going to get a chip on your shoulder. You're going to sign with the team and you'll go make a team. And it hit me. I got my card, congratulated, got back to work, signed with the Seahawks. And 10 years later was, you know, had, had carved a career out of it. But it didn't turn out the way I wanted, obviously, in the NFL. Didn't turn out the way I wanted in college. I had bigger aspirations. Sometimes you go through stuff. I didn't know what rock bottom was like, but I hit it. And, you know, going through knee injuries because I'd never been through a major injury like that and the ability to test your fortitude and do you have the mental and emotional toughness to you be kicked in the face, not get drafted instead of pout. My dad wouldn't let me and find something else out about yourself. I know it sounds kind of corny and cheesy, but I did. And so to go play 10 years, mine was a, a miserable experience, even though I didn't expect to go in the first round at that point. But my expectations going through my college career I thought, I'm ready for this. And when I didn't get drafted, I put a chip on my shoulder, not a negative chip that I was trying to get revenge, just a chip that said, I'm going to go and study. And I had a great rookie training camp in Seattle and was able to fortunately carve out 10 years around a bunch of good players. But I learned a lot about toughness and battle and adversity. And even though it didn't turn out the way I wanted, I'm, I'm probably proud, more proud of the fact that I was able to survive. I played my whole career without an anterior cruciate ligament. So I, I did. I felt good about it. You know, there's pride that comes with it. But I, I never got to achieve all the things I wanted to in the NFL or in college. 
Um, and it's not just injuries, but I, I, it was a miserable day for me. So I know what some of those guys go through, but I was proud that I was able to carve out a career and uh, I, anybody that goes through it, I understand what they're going through, but all you can do is put your best out there and, and try to be a survivor. I went from a guy who was, you know, was had a great gig being the quarterback at SC is the best job in the world, man, to not getting drafted and having to reinvent yourself. And, and fortunately I did. And, it turned out well. And like I said, the, the people I met along the way and the encouragement were, it was a blessing. I would have liked to get more out of my NFL career, but it didn't, it, it didn't turn out the way I wanted, but I'll take the 10 years. I'm proud of it. Sean, to, to follow up on that, I'm not going to try and be a Debbie Downer right now, but I just, I feel like this is important. Um, you know, about four or five weeks ago, you know, unfortunately one of Angel's friends committed suicide. We're very transparent here on the show. We make no about we make no bones about some of the stuff that we've been through, um, you know. And I I followed your career, you know. I've I've seen the stuff happen to you, and I've seen you come out and talk about depression and hitting rock bottom, and all. You know, we've all been there. Myself, Angel Fuji. I've got a lot of health issues I've talked about, and I battle depression because of that. And Angel's gone through some of the same thing. Fuji's been through some of stuff in his life where he's gotten depression, and I just want I feel it's important. You know, people tend to forget that we watch guys play football on Sundays or we watch Major League Baseball and NBA, but guess what? They're just like us. They've got the same organs. They bleed the same way we do. They have the same kind of emotions we do. And can you just sort of explain or give advice to people or explain your battle with it? Because you might be able to touch somebody watching this show or going back and watching it later to say, you know what, if Sean Salisbury went through this, something this similar as I did, why can't I come on the better side of it? I love the conversation. I think this is probably the most important thing that, uh, that we'll talk about um, throughout this. We've had laughs and the rest of it, but this is real life stuff. And I think there's a point in time when people think because these players are great and they make a lot of money that making a lot of money is going to buy. Now, making a lot of money is nice. I'd rather be I'd rather be rich and bummed out than poor and bummed out. But you, you get my point. Is I these athletes they go home and their wives or girlfriends or, or have had a bad day. Their parent they their parent dies. They uh, lost a bet. They got cut. They're drinking too much. Uh, they're using pills, uh, drugs, depression, lost a job. So they, well, while we say, oh, they're rich, that's not – no. They, they, they're, they have the same struggles you and I do. They're just – their bank account got a bigger ATM machine, okay? Um, I, I know what rock bottom looks like, and I didn't know what it looked like until I went through it. And I, there was a point in time for me, and I'm not a and – and when I finish this book, it will be an uplifting good book. But my goal is not to, oh, woe is me. It's to tell people – and if you find a way to salvage one life or – let somebody, because we, listen, everybody's going through something, but some more severe than others. And most of us just don't talk about it because it used to be taboo. You're not allowed to talk about, you know, going through a depressed state or hitting rock bottom because, ooh, you're not tough if you talk about it. Those days I hope are past. There should not be a stigma because people jump off bridges and kill themselves because of those stigmas that they think they can't go into society and have problems. We all got them. We wake up irritated. We go through trouble. We lose money. We gain money. We lose jobs. We gain jobs. Parents die. I mean, it happens and it's, and it's hard. And if you're not prepared for it, um, it, it can be tough. My ride, I, listen, 
I was talking to Dan Dockich today. Mm -hmm. I, when I was going through my rock bottom, I went in a span of 18 months of being divorced, losing my dad, 18 to 24, losing my father, who's my best friend in Europe, losing a job, losing a home, sleeping on a couch to sleeping in a truck. And all that was less than a decade ago after being a professional football player, 12 years on television at ESPN with one of the great jobs on the planet, three great kids, a great family, a loving family, and one after the other. And, and I, you know, when you talk about it, you say, losing job, home, dad, career, going through some very difficult struggles where you're embarrassed and you're not sure how you're going to do it. And you wake up one morning laying around the toilet seat after drinking the night before. Not that I didn't have a drinking problem, but, you know, we all bask in certain, we all have something right. we turn to. And I literally said, I don't know how I'm going to get through the day. And after I got out of rock bottom, I told Dan Dockett just today for about, you know, at that time, 75 to 100 days a year for a couple of years, I slept in my truck. And then when I was at a rock bottom and earning a living and getting back into what I love doing, because you wonder if you'll ever do it again. You never know when you, you never know if you have the, the guts to get through it because real life and football are fairly paralleled, but real life's tougher. And I can remember that after I came out of it, I still drove to hotel parking lots when I had money to go check in and slept in my truck to remind me that I'm never going back. And so I've used this to tell people it's okay to struggle. It's okay to admit it. And it's not okay to beat, to browbeat people that are going through difficult times, whether it's depression, rock bottom. So this isn't for somebody to say, oh, Sean, poor Sean, not at all. Because some of my rock bottom was self-inflicted and some of it wasn't. And I didn't know, I didn't, early on, I didn't deal with it well. So the, yeah, transparency is a good thing and talking to people and going through it. So I went from back surgery and knee surgery and too much Percocet and wondering if I was going to get out of bed, but sleeping, laying in bed, 16 hours a day, reclusive. I'd go to a restaurant and order out so I didn't have to hear people. Talk. I didn't want to. I didn't want to talk to people. I went through it. Other than my kids, I, mm -hmm. I didn't want to. So there's a lot of things people don't know about. So hopefully this touches somebody. It's okay to go through depression. It's not okay to stay there. It's okay to ask a friend. It's okay to rely on somebody. But you got to pick yourself up and go do it. Because, and I finally, one day I woke up and said, I, I wasn't like I was seeing somebody. I said, I've had it. I'm not doing this anymore. And then when I started to look at it and started to immerse myself into, instead of feeling sorry for me, I went through every emotion, broke, anger, uh, revenge, you know, all the, even though I didn't, you know, all those things, hey, you, you go through every emotion, hate, uh, feel sorry for yourself. I'm never, and then I, I, I thought, you know, I'm going to turn this around. There's people that have it worse off than me, man. I've had a great life. And then I went through it. And so I started to immerse myself into, into others. I picked a gentleman up on Christmas Day. My, I saw my kids the night before, and they were spending it with their mother. So it was 2015, 14. And, yeah, and 2014, Christmas time, I picked up a, a guy walking along the freeway. Um, I make a long story short, he was homeless. And he just, he'd been hitchhiking from Missouri, he's 60 years old. I picked him up and let him live with me for 16 months and turned his life, he turned my life around, I turned his life around. I picked him up off the street. Uh, long story short, I mean, it, you know, I've talked about it before. Um, off the freeway, just outside of Dallas, brought him to Houston with me, was going to drop him off where he wanted to go. I said, just stay with me, man, we'll get this worked out. And 16 months later, he's got new teeth, no more drugs. That's reconciled great. with his family, got his birth certificate, his, his social security card and his ID. 
And while everybody said, well, you changed his life. No, no, no. He also changed mine because I thought I knew compassion, but we don't even know what the face of homeless looks like because he's just a, and a, and a great human being. And we've carved a great friendship, Russell Bursette, and I'll never forget it. And it changed my life too. So I started to immerse myself into helping others. And along the way, next thing you know, this thing falls into place. And you're, you're sacrificing. If you got 10 bucks, I'd share five with somebody else. And this isn't to tell me I'm, there's people doing far greater things. I don't do enough. But I started to immerse myself into helping others. And it's turned my life around. And I have a, I've had a great life. Listen, the majority of it. But there was about a five-year stint there where I didn't know if I was going to survive it. I really didn't. And I'm grateful I did because hopefully I can make an impact. But I, I would like to hope my greatest impact will be outside of playing a football game or any of that. But I, that's why when I ever see anybody that's I, – I, I'm always – there's a slippery slope. When you see somebody on social media going through difficult times and people are ripping them, I'm thinking, man, you don't know what's going to happen. I, I don't let's, – let's please that, – it's not that important that they threw an interception – it's right. really not that important that they struck out. We got to, I understand, but man, we got to, and it's not just athletes, it's anybody. The person sitting next to you, you may not know what the plight they're going through. So um, this is a much longer story than this, but to make it short, I appreciate you, know, you guys talking, you know, sharing the, the transparency, but we, we got to, we got to do better. And I, I'm in the business of building self-esteem because I needed mine built at a time when I had it, I lost it. I never knew I'd get it back. And when I started to immerse myself into helping others, my life changed. So if you're going through it, find a way to go, even if it's, you know, taking water to somebody under a bridge, whether it's dropping five bucks off, whether it's, well, I don't care what it is, you'll start to find that things get better. I don't know how. I'm a faith-based guy, <clears throat> whoever you're praying to. But I needed a lot of friends, a lot of prayer, and a lot of intestinal fortitude. And I hope I never have to sleep in my truck again. But uh, if I do, uh, there's plenty of room in the front seat for somebody else. Well, and I'll just I'll just say this, Sean, <clears throat> to, to follow up with what you're saying. And I and I really I can't I can't tell you how thankful I am that you've opened up up like this. And the other thing I will say is, you know, the, the stuff that we've gone through here on the show, and you know the, what I've read, you've gone through, you know, and from my experience. And I don't know what your experience <laughs> is with this. And then after this, I will I will you know yield the floor to the others, but. You know, people who are going through pain and depression and stuff like that, and, and I've said this in 90% of cases, it's 90% of people who are going through it, Sean, they don't want to harm themselves. They just want the freaking pain to stop. They just don't want to feel like that anymore. And we've had many discussions, you know, on the show about it and stuff like that. And I don't know if, if that's the same sense that you get. Like, the, the people yeah. just like, we don't want to die. We just want somebody to listen and make the pain stop. And they want peace. We all want peace. If, hell, if we could bottle it up and get peace, we'd all be happy because, heck, some of my some of my best times in my life were hanging around buddies when you know, the only money you had was what was in your wallet, even when you're, you know, so it's not, it's, it's far, it, it's not about money. And I know some people go through depression because they've lost a job. I know what that's like too, but, and that's so whether it's an athlete or a star or the person sitting next to you, um, you, you, you do. You make a great point. Nobody wants to go through that. Nobody wants to suffer. And we shouldn't want to see people suffer. Listen, I've made a lot of dumbass mistakes. I've done a lot of stupid things. I think I've done a lot of good things. Uh, I've, I've been a good dad, man. I've been a really good dad. I've, I like to think I prepare hard and pretty good at my job. I, tr I try to do better all the time. I've led a tremendous life. Along the way, I've disappointed people. I've disappointed myself. 
And so I, I make a lot of dumb decisions. I hope better now than ever that I don't. But one thing I know I don't do is I may make a lot of bad decisions, but I sure as heck, it's, it's not for lack of caring about others and compassion. So I may make more mistakes, but it's, 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 it's hopefully not going to be mistakes that, that I can't, can't come out of. And hopefully along the way, I do more good than I, than, than I screw up. But the key is not living there. And when somebody says, well, yeah, you went through this, you lost this. I said, that's not my, that's not my area code. I don't live there anymore. That's not my address. I, I live in a different now. I, I, I live in the area area of it's not it, what's more important to me is seeing somebody's self-esteem go through the roof and change their life around. Not that I said something great on TV or that it had, had a great radio show. Those things matter because that's what I do. But I, I, my satisfaction now comes from continuing to be a great dad. I've had my identity locked up into my career mistake. And now my identity is locked up to trying to be a good man. So when people like my dad, I want to be like my dad, I want I, where everybody looks at him and says, man, what a good human. So along the way, you know, I want to, you know, I hate along the way, if you've hurt anybody and sometimes you say stuff that you wish you didn't say to somebody, but it sure as heck isn't for lack of caring or compassion. So my, my mission now is to just try to make an impact. I don't know what it is, but try to make a difference in somebody's life along the way, whatever that is. And, and hopefully I do. And uh, if it's outside of sports and in an everyday life or, you know, a, a handshake or an arm around somebody or, giving somebody 10 bucks or picking somebody up and letting them live with me for 16 months that I'd never met in my life. I, I hope that, that we can all, you know, we, we overuse the phrase pay it forward or maybe we underuse it, but it really is an incredible, an incredible thing. Imagine what it would be like if we just once a day, and it sounds cheesy, but said something kind to somebody that you thought, well, maybe they're going through a bad day. If we looked at it like that, we probably wouldn't fight as much on Twitter and we wouldn't get as offended as much when somebody criticized us. It's okay to disagree and not hate each other. It really is. We don't have to browbeat people. And I've changed my ways. I'm, I never was a browbeat guy, but I'd like to think I was always a compassionate guy. But I've, I've seen more. I see too many people dying. I see too many regrets. I see too many people going through difficult times for me to care really that somebody criticizes the fact that I threw an interception 25 years ago. I, I don't care. I care about people though. So it sure as hell won't be from lack of trying to make a difference. I can tell you that. Thank you, Sean. Yeah. Listen, it's, and you're absolutely right. Cause if you look on the, on the tweet, it's up there on as far as on the screen and you shared this today where he said, this will make your day. I love good in people. And, and the 89, 89 year old gentleman, if you guys have not seen it, go to Sean Salisbury, right? <clears throat> to Sean unfiltered. And take a look at that story. That that's quite an amazing story. What those people did for that man, it, it's quite amazing. You're talking about you know sharing things. There you go. Hey, can you imagine being 89 years old, and you have to deliver pizzas to serve to, to make a living? Now he may love it too. Look what he's doing. He's impacting people. Love him coming to the door, staying yeah. active, but to pay his bills. And I'm thinking, man, if that was my mom and dad, well, I know that they being active is awesome, and it probably keeps him young. But you sort of think, man, do I, would I want my mom and dad out doing it? But look at how many people rally around. I think people are good. I think people want to be good. And, you know, some people, when we walk off this podcast and this great stuff you guys are doing, are going to say, ah, screw those. You know, you'll get some that do it. But then you'll get some that say, you know what? When I have somebody come back and say, Sean, when you picked up the homeless gentleman, Russell, and he lived with you, I still get people asking me about it. They'll say, you know what it did? I did? I went and bought lunch for somebody today. And really... If that's the case, it's not a matter of pat on the back. It's not a, hey, man, look at me. It's why you do it is so the next person says, well, I want to do that too. Or the next person, you know, there's good people, man. And 
I, 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 it's, it's awful when people are going through struggles and you can see it. And some people are afraid to death to talk about it. So my guess if I was given one main message is just be, you know, it, it, it's, it's sometimes it's really easy to be kind. It's really, it's really hard to, I mean, you got to work hard to be an asshole. You, you just do. <laughs> you really do. You, you, you do. Pardon my, 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 my mouth, but you really do. It's pretty easy to, to, to zip it and to be kind. And if you can't be, then, you know, let the next person be kind. We don't have to browbeat and beat people down just to do it. Good arguments are fun, but we don't have to be vicious. I don't, I don't want to be vicious. And we all get frustrated and mad, and I'm not good. Hey, listen, I'm, we all have those moments. And God forbid, you, you know, we get so mad that sometimes you want to pound your head against the wall. But uh, you, you try to limit them and making an impact on somebody else's life, whatever it is, however we do it, whether it's time, money, a kind word. It really, you got to really work to be an asshole. And some of them are good at it. But I think most people are pretty good at being kind. No, it's absolutely true. And I want to get one last question in before we end up wrapping up here. And, and uh, again, if you guys want to get a little bit of lighter tone, again, Sean, if you want to see Harry Roseman at any given point in time, we'll get Fuji fired up before the end of the show here. <laughs> uh, I'm rooting for you, Eagles. I'm rooting for Jalen Hurts. I think that kid's a winner. But I'm going to leave the Howie stuff to you guys, man. Okay, I'll leave that to you guys. Until you want me as the GM, I'll leave it to Howie. I'm sure, no problem. I'm, I'm Anybody but Howie is a GM. I'm in the middle of my master's degree now. I'm getting my master's degree in sports management. Congratulations. So when I get that piece of paper, somewhere along the line, somebody say, hey, we'll, we'll have him as the GM. But right now, that's above my pay grade. So we'll leave it to those guys, and I'm going to leave it to you fans oh. to deal with that. Can you get a message out to Jeff Dorian? <laughs> in his head. I mean, yeah, you, guess, guys are, you guys are. You guys We're being kind today. Okay. That's right. Howie right. <laughs> <laughs> Roseman's another story. In there. There you go. See, Sean, it's all, it's all, it's all you had to do. I promise. Are, you guys are relentless. I love it. <laughs> I promise no one I would get this question in here. He says, "What would our defense, or sorry, would our offense be better with a mobile quarterback or a pocket passer, not very mobile, in the long run of the season? And to that, he was referring to Jalen Hurts. Right. Here's what I think. That part, the game's changed. You know, when you bring a guy like Mahomes in, see, guys, just a decade ago, we were saying, well, that quarterback can't fit in that. And we don't do that in the NFL. Well, now college offenses are are rampant over NFL, right, guys? They're everywhere. I mean, they're from college coaches to college off. Andy Reid runs his offense, runs some of what Cliff Kingsbury was doing at Texas Tech. We got guys running RPOs. So there's no longer just the West Coast offense or the vertical passing game. Now it's, hell, it's a mix of everything. Why not? Why wouldn't I take the best of what Mahomes does, the best of what Andy Reid did, the stuff that Kelsey's great at, and let's mix it all in and – and let's be versatile and let's be, you know, multiple. And I love it. As far as Philadelphia or the Jalen Hurts type quarterback, I know this. A guy who runs first and wins from the pocket second, you're not going to win a championship. I'm not just talking about him, I'm talking about anywhere. Because go over the – you guys tell me over the last 25 years, name me a guy who is a run first, pass second quarterback that won a Super Bowl. Name one. Oh, I can't think of one on top of my head. Gentlemen, Russ Wilson was good, but Russ still would pass outside the pocket. I'm talking about the couldn't deliver. I call it the hula hoop in the pocket. Show me a guy that, that has that over the last 25 years that couldn't deliver it from there pretty consistently that, that, uh, that didn't win a Super Bowl. Those guys from the hula hoop. Now, if you tell me outside, we were so big on extend the pocket. We're so big on off schedule. What we got to remember is you better be able to play on schedule. 
Brady, Peyton Manning, um, Drew Brees, you know what they did better than anybody in the world? They made the simple play, the seven-yard shallow crosser, the outcut, the flat route, hit the slant, the, the check down when the defense gets underneath your dig route or your post route, throw the check down. They sure. did it better than anybody. They made the simple play. Make, hit me singles. And then when they take your single away, you got to hit it in the upper tank. When they open when the guy, when we beat blitz, you got to, you got to hit him and the great ones do it. So for me, the game has changed. Now, when people say you can't win without a mobile quarterback, that's bull. Tom Brady can't move a lick outside the pocket and he's won another one at 43 years old. So, and he's the greatest quarterback ever. So yes, you can expect, but guys like Brady just don't fall off a turnip truck and land in your lap. He's, he's a different cat, but we are now in a time and these guys are big, physical, fast, elusive, great from the pocket, exceptional on the run, on schedule, off schedule, uh, in the pocket, climb the pocket, move east and west. So my preference would be, and I could care less about measurables. Baker Mayfield's not real big, Russ Wilson, Drew Brees, I, I don't care. Now, the look is we love the 6'4", 220, but there's plenty of 6'4", 220 guys that are watching on Sunday. Find me a guy that wins, that makes the simple play, that makes players around him better, and then when it's not cutting time and your balls are in a vice grip, you know how to win. You find a way to make that play. And those guys, Aaron Rodgers does it. Russ Wilson does it. We've seen that flashes of Lamar and Baker doing it. We've seen Nick Foles. Hey, well, the one thing about Nick Foles, he may not have been a great regular season quarterback, but he had the balls of a daytime burglar in the Super Bowl. I mean, great yeah. in, those, in those elimination games. He was phenomenal. So I need them both. But if you're asking me, yes, Jalen Hurts can survive. If One thing I know, he's a big physical guy. He knows how to win. He's competitive. He doesn't mind competition. Can he consistently, from the hula hoop in the pocket, throw on time, throw receivers open, beat, anticipate, and, and, and throw it to windows that look like they're closed to you and I, but throw them open. That's the case for all of them. Because I know once he breaks the pocket, throwing on the run, using his feet, big physical guy, he's going to make plenty of plays. If you're asking me what I want, I want both. I want Zach Wilson. I want, hell, who doesn't want a Kyler Murray? Or who doesn't want Aaron Rodgers that can beat you off schedule? Who doesn't want Pat Mahomes that can throw a sidearm ball when nothing's there? Mm. It's debilitating to defenses when you break out. You got him. You got a guy sacked. And Mahomes or Mayfield or, or Josh Allen step through it throw a ball side on 40 yard gain and, and, and the defense like we had him now. So, but you still got to be accurate from the pocket. Look how Josh Allen elevated his play. Look how he played this year. Mahomes and Brady continues to do it. I mean, we're lucky, man. We are top heavy with some phenomenal, phenomenal football players at that position. So to answer your question, I'd like both. I want a guy who's great and accurate from the pocket, but when all hell breaks loose and there's nothing six to eight plays a game, can extend it and destroy a defense's will with his legs and with his ability to throw off schedule. But I'll take on schedule. So I want a guy who can throw first, extend second. I don't need a guy who's a great extender first and an average passer. Eventually you'll get beat. If I got both, I'm going to win more. If I got a guy who can deliver it from the pocket on time and beat the rush, I'll win more with that guy than I will from a just off schedule guy. If I got both, then you got Russ Wilson. You got the best players in the world, and that's those guys who continue to win Super Bowls and that are in a they're above my pay grade, man. They're just a little too good. Sean, not to cut you off, I was going to say Russell Wilson. 
phenomenal. Uh, like as far as a the last made, 25 years. Yeah, and now think about it though. When he made plays, while he was able to, he's the closest we've come to a guy that wasn't when he first started and got to Super Bowl, wasn't the best in the world at throwing it from the pocket. But he's gotten better every year doing it. He's an MVP candidate every year. But he still was able to deliver the ball, make him die miss. And he always looked to throw, then run. I'm right. talking about the guy who looks to run, oh, then throw. I want a guy who breaks out, head up, head up, head up. Russell Wilson knows how to find those pockets outside and slide right. at the right time. He's the closest. But I can tell you this, look at his efficiency in the tackle box, sidestepping and resetting. He's still pretty damn good. And he's 1-1. He's 1-1. And been to two, so right. he is a special player, and he's got man. What, what, what was the, what was the thing we said about Russ Wilson early in his career? Got to get better. Got to get protection. Got to get better inside the pocket, right? Yeah, Anticipate, right. and he's one of the great deep ball throws, and he's gotten better, which makes him so dangerous. But I'm just I'm just mm -hmm. telling you that the, the norm, and we'll always have an aberration once in a while, right. and like Lamar Jackson, boy, did he explode on the scene, and and what, what a oh, phenomenal yeah. explosive talent. But the one thing right now that we're still waiting to see consistently, if you take away his legs, which is so hard to do, and he's three, hell, his MVP year, he threw it all over the lot. But year after year, can he beat you? If you take away his extension of the play, can he beat you throw after throw 30, 40 times a game from the pocket if you're fortunate enough to take away his feet? His dual threat is scary. Yeah. But if he elevates his passing, hell, you don't want to play against Lamar Jackson. Hell, you don't want to play against him now. But, uh, He's still – there's still another level of him to be a consistent, confident passer in the pocket, set his feet, throw on time. Dangerous player, but as you see, he's been close. But doesn't have an, he doesn't have a Super Bowl win yet. And the next elevation or, or should I say evolution of his game is to be able to kill you from there to where if he doesn't run to, – to where if he doesn't run one time in a game, he can still beat you. We've yet to see that on a consistent basis. But I'm I, if 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 I if I think I know him right, he's probably working pretty hard on knowing meaning his game, working hard on, on making sure he elevates that to the next level. If he does, there's another dangerous ten-year guy that is going to scare people. There's a former coach in Philadelphia that wanted to draft <laughs> Russell Wilson, Andy Reid. Why wouldn't he? Exactly. And you know that's why that the, the draft that it's the hardest position to judge. And draft the quarterback as well. We don't college the NFL is different, and we just don't know how they're going to turn out. Here's Russ Wilson that was supposed to back up Matt Flynn when he got to <laughs> Seattle. Training camp goes through. Now the guy's a hundred million dollar player and a Super Bowl threat every year. Pretty phenomenal exactly. story, and, and he's a he's a hard guy to defend. No, that's true. And listen, we know, uh, we know, <laughs> as Sean says, who comes out with the, with the Howie and Sean and no, thank you guys so much. And everyone else that, that made their comments tonight. Now I will say, even though we just said, we did say that we're being kind, but I did have the opportunity to pull up on cue the <laughs> chant that's heard not only, and Sean, I'm pretty sure going to test this out there in Seattle, but the chant that goes on in Philly, whether you're in Philly or not. Yeah. So, uh, those of us who have sensitive ears, I will tell you to tune out for the next 15 seconds, but this is a chant that's normally done in Philadelphia.
the hell is even that? <laughs> no one likes us and we don't, we don't care. And you know what? What a great chant. <laughs> As sensitive ears or not, that's a great chant, and I love it, man. So, And the great thing about it is I don't have to play against them anymore, so you chant away, man. Chant away. <laughs> there you go. Well, listen, Sean, and, and please hang on here for a second as we're, as we're ending the show. And by the way, to everyone who tuned in tonight, thank you so much for everyone who's tuning in. As we stated oh, earlier God. in the show, if you guys want to follow Sean just like the rest of us do, by all means, check out Sean Salisbury on Twitter, not just at Sean Unfiltered. And he has his kids there, as you can see, on his backdrop. But also the Sean Salisbury Show. Oh, and by the way, still one more here where you can watch <laughs> and listen. I mostly listen to more than anything else on 790 Sports Talk. Uh, the Sean Salisbury show. And if you guys, and again, Sean, I won't say because you've been on, on air with us here throughout the night, but the, the content that you put on. And then one thing I will say that I absolutely do love about you is that it's just not the most it's unfiltered. You say what you want to say, but it's the passion of how you say it. And then the other night you talked about as far as the no hitter, the other morning, should I say, we talked about the no hitters and here we have Corey Kluber who does it again last night mm -hmm. with the Yankees. Um, the no hitter will never get old. I don't care. And just like people complain about, well, the game is too long. Those of us who love the sport, who love baseball, you will sit through. I don't care if it's a seven hour bonus game. If you love the game and you love everything that's old fashioned about it, you're going to keep loving the game. I know everyone wants things to be happy and fast and all the good fun stuff. It's just, it doesn't work in baseball. So that was a great show the other morning. It was today's what Thursday. So I'm talking about Tuesday morning when you right. talk about the no hitter and Thank then you. coming to, uh, into uh, Wednesday. Back to back days. Yeah, man, I'm with you. The no hitter. I, I, I don't know. I don't know why we don't appreciate it. Maybe we do when it's a star that throws it because, well, we want to see Garrett Cole or Jacob deGrom throw a no, no. Right. right. Um, but I, I don't know why. I mean, I don't ever discount it. It's like I, I to, to do that against these hitters nowadays now, maybe it's easier because we're in such a swing and miss league in baseball and we love power and we don't, a lot of guys don't swing to contact. So maybe the no hitters seem to come. I mean, when you get two in a row and two teams have been no hit twice with the, you know, the Rangers and the Mariners this year. But <laughs> I, I listen to do that against these great athletes. I, I'm fascinated by it. And you're exactly right. When you're into it that big, it can be three hours. Now, some four hour games because a guy won't step on the rubber, get in the batter's box, drive you crazy on a, a seven to one victory and it's a, a nine hitter. It's like, come on, speed it up. But I, I love watching these guys play. I love watching baseball. I love watching no hitters and it never does get old. And thank you for the compliment. You guys having me on, I'm honored and I appreciate it. And it's always, I never take it for granted. I've learned a valuable lesson. And you talked about the passion. I, I have passion because you know why I, I, I'm blessed. I'm doing what most people in the world want to do. Somebody's yeah. paying me to do it. And I have a job to engage. I think it's our job to engage with fans, to inform them, to actually I learn from fans because there's some things they say like, I didn't think about that. That's a hell of a point. They're smart. And I, uh, I, I don't ever take it for granted. I'm getting paid to talk sports. And I, I, anybody, that, anybody in my business that bitches about it probably should take two weeks off and quit. <laughs> so I cherish it every day and you'll get past. I, hey, you may not agree with my opinion, but and I'm okay with that. I love the banter. But it'll come with passion uh, every single day with every single sport. And I appreciate you listening. I'm grateful to have a great job, and I don't take it for granted. Well, listen, we, we same way. We appreciate it. See the last comment.
pump it in there. And Sean says, I want that job. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame <laughs> you, man. The, the funny part is, is we exit out uh, the show today. But listen, we're, we're doing this for free and we're having fun doing it. And, and who is it? I would never think if, if you're looking again, as I'll use bench warmers here in the very beginning of the show, who would have thought in 2006 when I'm watching this movie, fast forward to 2021, I'm talking to the man and even if it's on the other side of the screen here, but you, you never know where life takes you. The same way when we talked about earlier about depression, there's a reason why all of us here in these windows have come together tonight because God makes things happen. And for whatever reason that, that it is, it's beyond us. It doesn't matter because it brings us all together. So, And then I hope everyone tonight too that learned the transparency the way it is. And, and the, you, if you need to talk to someone, always reach out to talk to someone, no matter who it is. When you think someone doesn't want to listen, please, by all means, end up reaching out. But listen, Sean, we can't thank you enough. Like I said, hang on uh, for a second here. But thank you so much for coming on tonight. And I hope everyone really enjoyed the show tonight. Next week, we'll have on Shil Kapali on at Thursday, 730. Uh, also on Tuesday from the Wax Pack. Uh, Fuji, if you want to mention a name there. Brad Bukalian. There you go. From the Wax Pack. No, listen, no, don't say it with such a I was just going to say, don't yeah. sound too goddamn enthused there, Fooj. What the hell? <laughs> his, name's, his name's hard to pronounce like mine. Good oh, Lord. You get fired up about Howie Roseman, but you won't get fired up about the guest next week. Come on, you're, man. You're a damn Chiefs fan. It doesn't matter. This is Philly, baby, not Kansas. You guys have been awesome. Thanks. You guys are doing great things. I'm so grateful to join you, and I uh, I appreciate the platform and the time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks it, to everyone who tuned in. Bill McManus gets the last comment here. So, uh, Sean's awesome. Great show. Thanks, you guys. Uh, did well, and we appreciate it. Um, Sean, Bill, Ducky. Let's do it again. You guys. Let's do it again, man. Thank oh, you. Yeah. Come back anytime. So, you bet. I'll sign off. When it gets close to football season, when it gets real close to football. Oh, let's do Go it. On, don't let's listen go. to the Chiefs fan. Go, go Howie. Go Howie. Talk a little Clemson football. Just talk a little DJ. We on the little late. There we go. No one likes us. No one likes us. We don't care. We're from Philly, Rock and Philly. No one likes us. We don't care. That goes for you, actually, man. Thanks to everyone who tuned in. Sean, like I said, give me a second. Hang on. For Fuji, for Nick, for the vacationing Sherman, who's out there in Tennessee looking for a new softball team. And for Neff, we thanks for everyone tuning in tonight. We will see you guys all next week live. Thank you so much. Have a great night, everybody.